0: It was the end of fifth grade, and that was the time at point in my life where you got to choose what sort of instrument you wanted to play, and what happened was, uh, was that you were um, allowed to choose somewhat based on ability, and so, um, now, if I give you something, will you only play it when I ask you to? You promise? I'm not going to give you this. So, so, give you that. Okay. Do you want one, too? You don't want one. I thought for sure I'd have to give two away to you guys, but you're Sure. Red, blue. At any rate, okay, at the end of fifth grade, all right. Now, if I give this to you, Jillian, will you only play it when I ask you to? Okay, sounds great. Okay, and then I think I have a willing victim here. And because normally I pick on the young people, okay, I'm going to try to be familiar with this at all, or would you rather have this one? You tell me. Okay, sounds great. All right, so, okay, at the end of fifth grade, you get to choose, and, um, and you get to, you don't want one? Yeah, I do. Okay, sounds great. (laughs) Okay, at the end of fifth grade, you get to choose somewhat based on ability, okay? And so you have a flute, and you have a, uh, a clarinet, and you have a saxophone, and you have a trumpet, and you have all these instruments, and you play them, right? And you, okay, only when I ask you to, though, okay? All right, sounds great. Not, yeah, okay, okay. And so, basically, I was judged, okay, by the music powers that be at Rippleside Elementary that I could play any of the instruments, now, whether that's actually true or not, I have no idea. That's just what I remember, okay? And um, some would doubt whether or not I have the ability to play a percussion instrument because I can't clap. Some people ask me, well, why don't you clap in church? Because I can't. It's always on the wrong beats. And people are like, no, it's really easy. I'm like, no, it's really hard. It's really. That's why I sway, it's easier for me to sway, because if I get out of time, it's no. So, I had the choice of any instrument, except for the fact that I had a father who desperately wanted me to play this instrument. Not this exact instrument. This is not mine. And so I was forced to play the trumpet. And I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Now, if you had given me the option, I probably would have even chosen the trumpet. But once you force me into doing anything, I am almost certain to run in the opposite direction, okay? Even when it comes to matters of theology, you could come with an orthodox position on evangelical theology, and if you say, you have to believe this, I'll take a heretical position just for the fun of it, okay? That's why, that's what goes on inside of this body sometimes, okay? So I hated, hated hated the trumpet. There's lots of different trumpets. This is the B-flat trumpet. This is the trumpet most often assumed when people say the word trumpet. There's also a cornet and a fugal horn, which aren't trumpets, but trumpet players are expected to pay fugal horns and cornets. Cornets more in a band setting, uh, fugal horns in more of a jazz setting. Then for the obscure, there's a C-trumpet, okay, which is keyed in a different, well, key, and it's the second most common type, used mainly in orchestral settings. I owe all this information to our good friend Derek and his ability to understand. There's the natural trumpet, which is used in Baroque music, okay? That trumpet has no valves on it whatsoever, okay? And so it can only play certain tones that you can adjust by your, um, is it the armature? Your... That... Okay, then there's the piccolo trumpet, which actually has four valves and is smaller. And typically, the lead trumpet player in a given band or orchestra would take over the responsibilities of the trumpet, of the piccolo trumpet, if they needed to. There's an E flat trumpet used in orchestral settings. There are trumpets that are made in the key of E and E, E, A, F, and G, but they're not very common. Typically, what a good trumpet player will do is transpose an A, E, F, or G, into a C, and then play it like that. The G trumpet is actually a bass trumpet, we think, and it's usually played by a trombonist. So here's the key, right? Because trumpets play prominently in today's text. Okay, so if you're willing, and I've given you a trumpet, when you hear me read the word trumpet... That's what we're looking for. I think it'll add a sort of panache to our experience today. Blow heartily as unto the Lord. Are we ready? Okay, not till you hear the word trumpet, okay? But when you hear the word trumpet, let it go. That's what it'll sound like, but not, that's a great practice. No, 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 I, I, I gotta read it out of the text. <laughs> I know sometimes my voice sounds like God's, it's not. This is God's word. These are John's word. I, John, not me, John, but I, John, your brother and partner. Okay, where are we at? I'm sorry. The Revelation to John, verse 9, chapter 1, page 1028. I, I'm really excited about this this morning. I'm just, let's go. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, here it comes, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. That's more like it. That's what I was kind of looking for. Saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum, to Theatria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. John is speaking, and he identifies himself in a familial way, a unique way, an inclusive way, a sobering way. John your brother and partner in the tribulation. Now, this one is a bit of a head-scratcher for us, right? Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not supposed to have to endure any tribulation, right? Isn't that what we signed up for? Jesus, we give you our lives, and you give us a life that is free of any hassle. Isn't that the deal that we made? Isn't that the deal that we signed up for? No. understand that being a follower of Jesus Christ is not about escaping the difficult things, but embracing them with a confident knowledge of how things will end and a confidence that God will sustain. The tribulation for John is not something that is far away. It is not some future event that is being prophesied about. It's here. He is experiencing it. In fact, if we were to look at this today, for many people in the world today, many Christians in the world today, life could not get much harder than it is. Lives are on the line, situations are desperate, and we often miss that because of where we live. We like to think we can escape the hard things in life. In fact, one of the more popular views of interpreting the last days is a pre-tribulational rapture. How convenient, right? A theological point of view created by the Western church in the mid-1800s that allows Christians to escape the tribulation. But this verse demonstrates over and over again opposition And perseverance, tribulation, and hope. To be a follower in the way of Jesus is to experience life and all that life includes with it. It is not the absence of pain but to various degrees, and I understand, okay? For some of us, the degrees of pain that we suffer is a small little carry-out bag, okay? I I get that. I, I couldn't imagine the life that I'm living right now. And yet I also know of friends who seem to have pain in a dump truck load of badness, But to be a follower in the way of Jesus is to experience life and life includes with it, not the absence of pain, but the reality of pain, the reality of suffering, the reality of loss, the reality in some people's words or in some people's lives rather, experiences that even come close or exceed a word that we use and call tribulation. If you want a bleak setting into which you would write a book, the late first century is a bleak setting. It's really kind of ugly. The Christian church is suffering. The Christian church is being persecuted under threat of death for their belief in Jesus Christ. Rome is in control. The gospel of Jesus seems all but dead. Peter's gone, Paul's gone, Mary's gone, and it's not because they left on a jet plane. They're all gone. It, it it looks like it could be over. We miss that. We miss that reality. We see after two thousand years of history the success of the Christian Church, and it is an amazing thing to behold. But you have to understand, this looks desperate in the first century. And into that, John writes, your brother, your partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. John is able to place his experiences in a larger context. John is able to look behind beyond the realities of what he's experiencing and see hope even in a desperate situation. The March 19th issue of the Star Tribune, there's an article um, that is um, written, 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 wrote, it was wrote by, written by Melanie Razinski. McManus, Okay? Melanie and her husband uh, last year went on a uh, hiking expedition to the uh, least utilized park in the national park system, which is Isle Royale. Which, when the headlines say Isle Royale, I click on it because that's just like a moth to light. All right? At any rate, so they jump off, okay, in Rock Harbor and go on this initial three-hour hike, Right? And it seems as though Melanie's husband, whose name is Ed, has recently purchased a pair of hiking boots that he hasn't broken in, and the trail is obscure, okay, and it's not just a little bit difficult. And he develops a hot spot on the side of his ankle, and he's really kind of grumpy about the whole thing. And Melanie doesn't want to say anything because it was her idea to go in the first place. Ed says, I'm not liking Isle Royal," And then on their way back... Two moose walk across their trip, okay. Two moose just out of the woods, and they're just like, "Oh my goodness, sake the life! Did you see that? There's two moose that just walked across a trip, and that was the most incredible thing." And all of a sudden, Ed, Ed who was so not liking Isle Royal, said, "That is the coolest thing in the world. I only saw the back of the second one, but now Isle Royal rocks." How do we understand our lives? What are the experiences that we have? Do we really understand? Most things in life that are valuable require some sort of perseverance to get to a point where they become valuable to us. Some of us seem to enjoy a life that is full of relative ease and lack of hassle. But I think for all of us, if we were to dig just a little bit deeper, we would understand that in our perseverance, in the face of opposition, that is where we have become stronger. That's where we become more adept at what we do. That's where we become more successful in life. That's the kind of perspective that John is bringing to the lives in the first century Are the people who will read his words. And it's the kind of perspective that he wants to bring to our life today. He is our partner in this thing called life that includes tribulation and includes perseverance, that includes endurance. John is able to give perspective to his experience in our experience, and place them solidly, squarely within the kingdom of God. Are we willing to slow down long enough? You have to understand, he's in exile. You maybe don't get this perspective unless you're in exile. But do we have the ability or willingness to slow down long enough to ask the Father, what do you want me to learn in the experience that I'm having right now? Would we have the boldness to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me right now in this experience? Whether it be full of joy or full of great pain, whether it be physical pain with a body that doesn't work or a marriage that is unsuccessful or the frustration that comes from the emotional realities of kids making choices that we don't, of which we don't approve. Could we be bold enough to ask, how am I identifying with Jesus through my life experiences? Let's go back to the text. Get ready with your trumpet. Oh, you can't take the bell off, man. You gotta put the bell back on. Okay, there we go. Okay, ready? When you hear trumpet again, not until I read it, though. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Ah! It was all synced up that time. Okay, now what exactly are we talking about here? Okay, obviously John is tight with God, okay? When you say the phrase in the spirit, there's kind of two suggested line of thoughts. One, John appropriates heavily from the Old Testament. Remember we talked last year? Last week, rather, that there are 518 allusions to the Old Testament in the writings of the Revelation of John, okay? This is another one of them, okay? Uh, An Old Testament prophet would be in the Spirit. That would be a way of suggesting the authority that they have to talk about what they're talking about, okay? The other thing is the simple reality that he is in the Spirit, This is a Sunday morning worship experience for him. This is not indigestion. This is not a dream in the middle of the night. This is not not a nightmare. This is John being so tight, so close, that he is entrusted with a message from God. He is in the spirit. He is in the groove. Perhaps you felt it. The goosebumps, the tear, the joy, the desire to raise your hands on Palm Sunday, palms in the air. Are these in some ways reflective of the larger experience that John was able to enjoy? I mean, he's in exile. Probably he's by himself. Okay? If he's playing, it's a one-man band. If he's critical of the music, he's critical of himself. If he doesn't like the preacher, he's being critical of his own preaching style. Okay, it's, it's probably a one-person show, but he is in the Spirit. He is in this unique, sweet spot where he has come, not for what he gets, but to worship his God, to worship our God, to be in the Spirit. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't it be cool to have that be a descriptor of our lives? Worshiping God in the Spirit. Some might ask, is that available to us today? I, I don't know. What exactly would it look, would it look like? I don't know. But it might invite the question, do I want more of God in my life? John seems to be experiencing a relationship with the God of the universe that is beyond description. And what he sees, the vision that he is allowed to view, is almost unique in all of human history and certainly only repeated a couple places in this book. Would we want what John has? Would we want the experience of this? There was an article in the New York Times Magazine this last week about wave pilots, okay? This is the coolest. I've never heard of this before, okay? Basically, it is uh, individuals who are indigenous to the Marshall Islands, okay? And there is a speciality of open water oceanic navigation, and they're called wave pilots, okay? And they are indigenous individuals to the Marshall Islands. They are entrusted with a secret science, if you will so secret that they believe there's only one or two wave pilots left in the entire world, largely because navigation on the the open waters of the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean and the Indian Ocean are done using satellites and GPS and all sorts of mechanical equipment. But long before that, the people who lived on the Marshall Islands had to get to the Marshall Islands. The captain of the canoe on this experiment, is a gentleman by the name of Allison Keelan, the last ever apprentice in the ancient art of wave piloting. Okay, He can't say that he's navigating because he's just an apprentice. He can only say that he's guessing. So if you were to ask him, are you a navigator, he would say, no, I'm guessing on the open water." At any rate, what it is is an understanding of how waves reflect off of islands and what that feels like in a boat. And to become a wave pilot, frequently what you had was an uncle or a father or someone who would make you lie down in a canoe, close your eyes, and gently pull you around reefs. So you could feel how the ocean behaved, whether you were on the north side or south side or east side, whether there was a lee wind, whatever it might be. And you develop this ability by listening to the water around you and by being still. They set out from the capital of the Marshall Islands, Majuro. And their hope was to sail through the night without navigational aid and end at the island of Or. I don't know how far it is, but roughly it's about 70-some miles of open-water navigation. And they did it. And what they discovered, because they did have a scientist who was along who was plotting the exact course... Was that even though the pathway of the canoe under sail took a variety of different twists and turns, that the canoe always stayed perpendicular to the prevailing swells. And they thought that was just absolutely incredible. A miracle. Or, as Allison would simply say, a good guess willingness to wait long enough, to learn enough, to sense, to be in tune, to be quiet. That is how a wave pilot functions on the open water. I can't help but think that John is in the ideal place to hear the Spirit of God because he is in exile. He is by himself. He is all alone. And into that, seeming absence, God injects something so powerful that it amazes us today. And off of that, I invite the question of my life. Would I want that? Would I want more of God in my life? In fact, I think if there's one thing that I could give you from the time that you have at Timberwood Church, okay, is the desire, the willingness to say, I want more of God in my life. Wherever you're at, if, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have followed since you were the tiniest little person or whether you're brand new to faith or whether you're even kind of on the outside, not quite sure whether or not you should follow Jesus Christ, especially when we're talking about tribulation where you might have to be in some sort of pain or fluffering or whatever it is, okay? I get it. But if there's one thing that we could give you here at Timberwood Church would be the desire to have more of God in your life. To listen to him, to feel how he moves, to to learn his pathways, to take him as the primary navigational aid in our lives. I pray that for my life. I pray that for yours. That we would want more of God in our lives. So, let's get to the vision. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white. Just get into this description. Like white wool, like snow, Some of the guys here are like, yeah, I can do that. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the shining sun, like the sun shining in full strength. Oh, my God. Goodness, revel in that description. It is a vision. All of John's senses are are hyper, in tune to what is before him. He has been entrusted, and we are the beneficiaries of that trust. Who is he describing? We'll have to wait for next week. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you, challenged again by your word, delighted that we can be in a place that is about you and your Son and your Spirit. We pray, O great God, we pray that through whatever we are experiencing, we would be in tune to your Spirit. We pray, oh great God, if we're bold enough for more of you in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.